welcome to this podcast. I'm excited to elaborate a little bit more what we discussed back in episode two when we discussed the widow tax and we highlighted a little bit about estate planning. So this particular podcast is going to do just that. We're going to talk about living trusts. We're going to talk about wills, um, the various documents that you know all complement each other. Because uh, I know this is a difficult topic for most folks to, to discuss, right? This is not something that you sit at the dinner table talking about setting up trust, what it means, because it's really talking about the inevitable, right? Death. Uh, for those of us widows or widowers that, that have gone through that experience of losing a loved one, uh, we know how um, much stress that this can create by not having things lined up. Uh, fortunately, my late husband, um, Keith, and I had uh, really planned this early. It was actually in our, our late 20s after uh, we had our youngest. She was just a few months old. And, and we did what we thought was a responsible thing to do, which was mainly focused around our kids. We wanted to make sure that things were set up primarily um, to take care of them anything happened to us and um, you know things as, as evolve through our own life you know then things change and you have that financial aspect and things like that and people at the time when we were in our late 20s thought we were nuts they thought why why are you doing this so early but we did the right thing at that point and um, throughout our lives as things changed in our careers as we moved as we you know get different assets like a house and things like that our trust changed with us and um Again, having gone through that experience in 2021 after my husband passed, having this the trust that we set up in place was uh, key um, to facilitating a lot of things that without it being in place would have gone through a probate process. And so we know that having something like this in place helps facilitate things for the loved ones particularly loved ones who may not be familiar with all the ins and outs. And that's why it's so important to work with a trust attorney to help facilitate this. Uh, because without any of these documents in place, you have to go through the probate process, which takes a lot of time, is very expensive, um, and can be very uh, challenging in its own way. And, um, you know, at least with the trust, you have your wishes documented um, along the way and, and helps provide that roadmap. Uh, whereas a, a probate process, it's really left to the judge uh, to help facilitate some of that. So I wanted to bring a resource, bring on a, a trust attorney. I've invited Krista Hermans to um, this podcast uh, what she'll be sharing with you shortly are all the different considerations of setting one up. Um, she works through the and highlights the the process, how she educates her clients, how she walks them through the the aspects to take into account, um, and then really kind of highlights for the benefit of everybody what are the pros and cons. You know what is and, and that even fundamental basis of what is a living trust versus a will, uh, because I know a lot of individuals think. Oh, I've got a will. I'm covered. Yeah, you're really not. <laughs> There's really some things you have to think about um, in that difference between the trust and the will. Uh, and so I really want to um, you know, focus on this. As many of you know, I'm very passionate about this area. Uh, but again, this is very complementary to what we discussed in the second episode and really focusing on estate planning. Uh, so those of you who have not done anything yet, please, please listen to this podcast. 
reach out to Krista, reach out to a, a, a trusted attorney that you've worked with or however, um, but get those things in order. Um, please take it from um, a widow who's gone through this. Um, you know, I do have the business and finance background and so forth that has definitely helped me, but there are a lot of things you got to think about. It's just not having that document in place. There's just a lot of other things that Krista highlights um, here shortly. So thanks again for joining. If you've got any questions regarding this podcast or have ideas for future podcasts, please reach out to me at widowsthatwine at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Krista, thank you so much for your time today. Um, so I just want to give a maybe a little brief introduction on yourself, kind of your background, your practice, and what you do. Because today we want to focus on living uh, trusts and wills and what they mean to, to folks. So why don't we kick off with a little bit about you? Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Krista Hermans. I am an estate planning attorney. I am licensed in California. So all the stuff we talk about today is going to be based on California law. Um, but for anybody listening that's not in California, it's really a good base of information, but always best to work with an attorney in their state because some laws differ on how things actually work. Um, so I have my own law firm. Um, I started it about eight years ago, and I started it when I had my first child. Um, I found that estate planning wasn't something that most parents when they had minor children considered. Mm -hmm. And so that had been really what my focus was on planning for families with minor children and really just trying to share with them and educate them on how they could actually put legal plans in place to make sure that if the, if anything happened, that they would have legal documentation that said how things are to be cared for. And, you know, the practice has grown um, over the years. Um, we don't, we don't just help families with minor children now. It's, you know, it's all levels of families. Um, and just really making sure that people know that they at any age can put legal plans in place. Perfect. And what you just touched upon a key point, because that's what it was for me and my late husband. We were in our late 20s. When we set up our trust, and it was for that purpose that you mentioned, it's about, it was our kids. We had two daughters. My youngest was a baby. She was just like a few months old. And we said, we've got to get this done. Yeah. And it was just more of being that responsible piece of it, but focus around that, not so much the financial that grew and evolved right over yeah. time. But yeah. I, I think let, let's talk about that, especially looking at from that perspective as setting up the trust for your children and then the financial and, and why it's so critical, because a lot of folks think the living trust and the will. And I think there's just those nuances. Yeah. Explain from your standpoint, what you've seen and what are those benefits and, and yeah. the differences with that? Um, so I think to start the difference between a will and a trust is kind of a good base. Um, so when you say living trust, it's also known as a trust, also known as a revocable living trust or a revocable trust, right? Those, those terms are all interchangeable when we refer to a trust. And a trust is basically just an agreement. And it is an agreement between the grantor, which is the person who creates the trust, and the trustee. The trustee is the person who agrees to hold legal title to all of the assets in the trust. And they do this for the benefit of their beneficiaries. And so while someone is alive and they have a revocable living trust, they are all three of these roles, 
right? They created the trust as the grantor. They are the trustee, meaning they have control over all of the assets in their trust. And they are also the beneficiary. They don't lose access to any of the, of the assets in their trust. It's, you know, it's their trust. They can do what they want with the assets. It's only if something happens to them, whether there's an incapacity, meaning they get sick and they don't have the mental ability to make financial or medical decisions on their behalf, or they pass away, that that's when their successor trustee, or some people know it as an executor, would step in and follow the terms of the trust to distribute to their beneficiaries in the manner that they wanted it to be done as it's stated in their trust. Okay, perfect. Okay, so that's a trust. A will is a legal document in which you give certain instructions to be carried out when you pass away. So it allows you to say, this is how I want my assets distributed, right? I want my house to go here to this person. I want my bank accounts to go to this person. You know, whatever those assets are, that can be done in the will. A will also allows you to nominate guardians for your minor children. So if there are minor children involved, it's where you would nominate those guardians. The difference is that a will only comes into play when somebody passes away. And so what a will is doing is it's telling the probate court how to distribute the assets, right? And so a will doesn't avoid probate court. A will is telling the court how to distribute those assets through that probate proceeding. And so the difference between a will and a trust is a trust, it generally is meant to avoid probate court because probate court in California, especially, it's very expensive. You know, the average cost, and it's set by statute, right? The, the fees are set by statute. And so a $500,000 estate, and in California, a $500,000 home is not hard to come by, right? Where I am, the median price is $800,000. And so a $500,000 estate is $26,000 in probate fees, right? And that's just the fees. There's also court costs, um, bond fees, publication fees. That's another two to $3,000. So a $500,000 estate would be about $30,000 to go through probate, right? So it's That's very expensive. Point, right? Because yeah. they, they, folks will always say, they make the excuse, well, I'm not going to do a trust or a living trust because it's too much money. But yeah. when they look at the trade-off down the road for their beneficiaries or whomever they have, yeah. it that's going to cost a lot of money when they look at a it. A lot. It, they may be gone and they're going to be gone or however, but yeah. it's just that cost invest in it now. And it could be yeah. a couple thousand dollars or however they're, they're involved in the process without having the courts kind of dictate or a judge, right. Dictate that. Process. Yeah. Well, and the time frame, right. Probate right. Mm -hmm. can take one to two, maybe even three years. And that's uncontested, right. That's not even fighting. It's just the, the actual process taking place. Whereas a trust, it can be a lot quicker. And so money that beneficiaries may be needing, right. they won't have access to because it's in that probate proceeding. So the trust provides more flexibility because it's keeping it outside of court. And that's where that successor trustee, right, can help be, as long as they have all the documentations, that's like working with folks like you, having that all well-documented, yeah. they can go to the bank with that information update bank accounts, have access to that have money, access. have the access if they need to sell real estate, right? Any of those type of things to go through an escrow, working with a real estate agent, that can be easily facilitated. Yes. Unlike the probate, you are very much stuck with those timelines. 
Exactly. And that is one of the biggest issues with probate is when we find somebody that um, they're, they had a loved one that passed away, the house needs to be sold. Well, we have to start the probate process and get letters issued by the court before they can even start selling the house. And so then at this point, who's paying the bills, right? It's generally the person who is in charge and they're having to come up with all of the money to pay property taxes, insurance, the mortgage potentially, um, and to keep the upkeep of the house because they may not necessarily have access to any money um, from the estate. And I see that happen a lot. Um, so it, it's just unfortunate because the planning wasn't done and now it's it, the burden is put on other family members to, to have to deal with it. And that's the important part there, because you can have family members who aren't well-versed in this process. Again, they partner with individuals such as yourself, but mm -hmm. then you're bound by these considerations because a trust didn't exist. Correct. And that's where you can help facilitate that. But that, that adds extra burden. Like you said, they're having to come up with the money to maintain the, mm -hmm. those things. And if there are kids involved, maintaining that part of it. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that does, that, that's a key part is just, Again, I think I always say call it being responsible. So that way you can help those that are going to have to pick up those pieces after yes. you're gone. Yes, exactly. And I'm sure you've seen many, many scenarios, right? All of the different experiences and things like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I have so many different stories from families that have had, you know, problems that happen that they're now responsible for that, you know, had the family members known hopefully they would have done planning to not have to put this burden on generally their adult children is what I see. Um, and then there's ones where, you know, they had proper planning in place and it just made it easy and less stressful. And it actually allowed the family time to mourn rather than having to figure out what do I need to do? I'm so stressed about this money and these process and, and all of these different procedures. I had one woman who her mother passed away and she she was so upset with the paperwork of trying to figure out everything that needed to be done. And she just, she just said, you know, I'm just, I'm so frustrated and angry. I don't, I can't even mourn my mom's loss because I'm having to deal with all of this. I completely. And, and for me, we had a, tr we had to trust, we have the trust and it took, and, and I'm kind of, I have a financial background and things like that. And it took me a couple of months and you're a hundred percent right those first few months anyways, it's a blur to begin with, but you layer in with all of these other considerations. And that was a few months having everything already lined up mm -hmm. and, and you don't have, like you said, time to grieve mm -hmm. that for me, that's why it hit me a couple months later, all of that afterwards, but yes, compound it with these long proceedings with probate compound it with unknown territory for some folks. It, it's gonna, it takes longer you're spot on with that and having to juggle that, that extra stress yeah. um, and getting ahead of it. So, so what does, especially let's, let's talk about with the children piece of it. Like you said earlier, you can stipulate, like if you have children under 18, what does that entail? What are some consider considerations for those putting a trust together to think about? Yeah. And even those who are over 18, cause I've got my girls and I've got certain language in there about my girls hurt certain ages Yep, like yep. that, right? Because just at 18, yes, as a society, we think, hey, you're 18, you're an adult. Now, no, yeah. no, you know, these are big decisions for them. What are things that you sometimes guide folks to think about when they're putting that together, especially from that kid aspect? 
So for people that are hesitant or not wanting to do planning, and it's generally, it's generally cost is one of the biggest things. Um, the other side I see is people just don't want to think about it, right? They don't want to have to think about not being there. And so they just, they just don't do it. They put it off. Um, so without having proper plans in place, like a trust, then if there's minor children, minor children can't inherit money or property if they're under 18. And so then what actually would be required is a court guardianship where somebody would petition the court to get access to any money that the children are receiving. And so like life insurance policies, I see it all the time. Um, parents will put, if there's spouses, they'll put their spouse as the beneficiary and then put their minor kids as the backups. Because, you know, of course, if something happened to them, they would want their kids to receive the money, but it doesn't work out logistically like that because they're under 18, it goes into a court blocked account where they can't actually access the money until they turn 18 years old. And then if it's a life insurance policy, you know, I've seen some life insurance policies, they're very, there's a lot of money in there and they would be getting all of that money at 18 years old, right? And that's one thing I think parents don't, when they get life insurance, especially, they don't think about what actually happens right. if something were to happen to them. It's, oh, I have this life insurance policy. My kids will be taken care of, but they don't understand how it actually works after that. Right. right? The mechanics and of it, right? How it gets executed. Exactly. So that I think is very eye-opening for people when they actually understand, oh, they can't receive that money if they're under 18. They don't even have access Th to then it. Then what? Right. What does that yeah. mean? That means they 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 don't have it. Right. They, they they would have to petition the court to be able to get access to the money in this court blocked account. So what I generally will tell parents with minor children is by creating a trust, you can say, well, rather than them getting money at 18, I would want that money to be distributed to them at ages, maybe, you know, 25, 30, 35, and being able to extend, extend that life insurance policy, if that's what's coming in to be given to them at various points throughout their life, different ages. And then be, and the language in the trust, like we include language that they can get money at any time in the trust. Again, only if something happens to the parents for health, education, maintenance, and support. So if they need money to go to school, if they need money to, to live, to buy clothes, to buy groceries, any of that stuff that's included in that health, education, maintenance, and support, it's there. They just get those lump sum payments at those ages that you choose. And that's really providing more protection, whether it be from a creditor perspective, right? Or if they get married, making sure that that money is, is separate, or if they get divorced, right? Making sure that they're not commingling any of that money that they would have gotten at 18, which now could potentially be community property because they've commingled it with their spouse. And now they're getting a divorce. So their spouse, ex, soon to be ex-spouse is now getting half of the inheritance that they received. So the trust just provides so much more protections for the children, whether that, they're that my can be stipulated, right? That gets to be stipulated, sorry, Krista, that could be stipulated, right? In the trust about saying, keep this separate for you, especially exactly. you young adults or adult children in that trust. Yeah. So that way you can keep that separate. You right? keep it separate or they can get it free and outright, right? It depends on the ages. It depends on the family dynamics. And these are all things when, when you work with an estate planning professional, an attorney, to, that we have the experience to go through this and understand the family dynamics to say, okay, what is this design going to look like? And how can we, how can we formulate it in this agreement to make sure that your wishes are put legally in writing? 
And those wishes change over time, right? So that's why you can amend a trust. You're not just bound by a static trust. That's why it's a living, ongoing, working with individuals like yourself to modify that as you go. Exactly. And I, I recommend looking at the trust every two to three years, right? Just making sure the players that you have that are in there, the agents, are every, is everybody still in good health? Do you still have relationships with them? The assets that you have in your trust, checking them to make sure they're all listed properly in your trust. Um, and is everything working correctly, right? That's that's where I see when people you know, have very big life events, right? Somebody passes away, there's a divorce, more children um, are, um, are there, there's marriages, right? Those are reasons to then need to amend the trust. Okay. Now you mentioned... Um kind of the, the cost piece of it with the probate versus um, not or just doing the traditional trust. What about, because on our second episode, we had a CPA kind of talking about the widow tax and implications there. Yeah. What are some tax from your perspective, that piece of it, because we highlighted estate planning. That's why I think this, this particular podcast is complementary to that prior one. Yeah. What, what are things that you see from working very closely with professionals such as CPA is building that estate plan keeping the tax considerations in place also? Well, it really depends on what the estate tax exemption is to be able to have that tax strategy and working with a CPA um, is very important. I will say that the estate tax exemption amount right now is just very high, that it actually doesn't apply to most people in our country. Um, I think it's about $14 million a person. So a married couple, it's almost $30 million. And so that means that if somebody were to pass away or both both um, spouses were to pass away, that would be no taxes paid on up to that $30 million amount. Um, the other side is if there's property, right? That's where we can get into some capital gains tax um, benefits. And so like most common I see is you have a married couple, who own a property as community property. And that's one of the things that we really look at is how to get the best tax savings when it comes to the properties that you own. And so those are things that we'll look at and we'll recommend some things to maybe make some changes to help get a better tax savings. Um, and one of them is when it's a married couple and the properties in their trust, if one spouse were to pass away, the property is going to get a step up in basis. And what that means is that from the, the value that you bought the property at, let's say you bought it at $250,000, one spouse passes away, it's now $500,000. You get an appraisal done to show what that step up is going to be. And now the property, there won't be those capital gains taxes between that $250,000 to the $500,000 value that it's at, mm -hmm. where they own it as community property, then they get a double step up in basis. So then when the surviving spouse were to pass away, let's say the property is now a million dollars, there will be that step up from the original, that 250 all the way up to a million dollars that the kids would then inherit the money. And when they go to sell the property, they won't have to pay capital gains between that 250 to a million dollars, right? It's now that new level. And that, I mean, that's a huge tax savings that most people don't consider when it comes to being able to do this, this planning. I'm glad you said that because that's something I was taught, mentioned during that particular episode, because most individuals don't know to get an appraisal done. No. And that's what's so critical with the step up 
piece. Yeah. And, and you highlighted the two parts with not only the spouse, but then the, the children. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's something I've been sharing with folks, get that appraisal done for that purpose. Yes. To highlight that. Now you touched upon having the house basically in, in, in the trust. A lot of individuals also don't realize when they're buying a home. Mm-hmm. They don't put that because you can put the the trust. That's the holder of basically the property, right? Absolutely. Yes. And so when you go through a trust setting up someone, you work through that process also to have those assets property. and assets put into the trust, right? Yeah. So we do the we do homes, right? Residence, condos, things in California. If they have out-of-state property, we will work with an attorney in the state where that property is located and have that property moved into the name of the trust. Because what most people do not consider is that if you own a property in, let's say, California, if this is where you are, and then you also have properties in Montana and Texas and Florida, then you have to have what's called an ancillary probate in every state that you own a property. And so it, that would be, if you had four properties, California and those are three other states, that would be four probates that would be necessary. Whereas if you had a trust in California where you're, where you're located, you put your primary residence in there and then you, you transfer title in all of those other properties in the different states to your trust, then if something happened, your trustee can then just sell or do what needs to be done with those properties without having to go through probate. I'm glad you highlighted that because I don't think individuals realize that too. Those state yeah. jurisdictions, that's what dictates those particular proceedings. Absolutely. And that's yeah. another key factor why a trust is so important, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Now, assets in general, so whether it's bank accounts, any of those financial, any type of financial instrument, anything like that, put in the name of the trust, but what if you forget and you didn't, isn't that where it's like the pour over or however, there's a a piece that allows you under the trust to grab that and bring it in. Yeah. So a pour over will very similar to a will, but when you have a trust, generally you will also have what's called a pour over will. And the pour over will has provisions that say, if anything gets left outside of my trust, it just gets poured over into my trust right? It's kind of a backup plan. And we have to petition the court and ask them for that order showing that the assets are then poured over into the trust. Um, And that's kind of, again, just as a backup plan. If, if, if assets don't get funded into the trust that are necessarily need to be done. So that is an example where you would have to go through the court process. If it's not there, you would have to definitely do that. Yeah. And honestly, that is one of the things that I see a lot when people do have trusts is the trusts aren't funded correctly, right? Or, or, you know, that's missing assets. One thing I'll, I'll mention before we get into the funding part is people, when they, when they think about not needing, like they try and find all the reasons why they don't need a trust, right? They don't need an estate plan. They don't need it. And this is one I think people don't actually consider the mechanics, the logistics of how things work. And so if you have somebody, let's just say, let's just say it's a, a widow, right? Um, husband passed away and there's adult children. And if there's no estate plan in place, right? No trust. Um, then the, the bank account, right? Let's just say there's a checking account that mom uses to, for every, you know, everyday life to pay bills, buy groceries, do the things that she needs to do. If she is the only one that is listed on the bank account, if she gets sick, 
and has is incapacitated, her kids can't access the bank account. She they can't access that money to take care of mom to be able to then, you know, pay medical bills, buy groceries, put her in an assisted living facility because there's no access to the, that account. Because I have people that say, well, I don't need to do an estate plan. My kids are all adults. I'm just going to list them as beneficiaries. Well, that's fine once you pass. But if you get sick, those beneficiaries don't have access to the money. And this is things that people do not consider when putting together a plan or not, because they'll say, oh, I don't need it. I can just do beneficiary designations. But that only works after you pass away. Mm -hmm. And the banks that, that we have here in California, I'm assuming it's, it's very similar across the country, banks won't release beneficiary designations immediately. It takes a long time to get a death certificate one. And so you have to wait for that death certificate, but banks generally will not release money to beneficiaries until 41 days after somebody passes away because they're waiting to see if any checks need are need to go through before they just distribute that money. And so if kids are waiting for that money to be able to pay funeral expenses, you know, cremation services, anything, they won't have access to the money. I had one woman, her mom passed. She didn't have access to the money. She had to take out a loan on her 401k and ended up paying, I think about $20,000 for end of life stuff, right? Because she didn't have money to be able to do it. And she didn't have access to any of mom's money. And you mentioned end of life too. That's something that can also go into trust that you can have that control over to also stipulate, this is what I want done. Yep. Right. Exactly. It's incapacity. So if there's, if you're sick, the trust says how to care for you, right? Pay the medical expenses, uh, live in the manner that they're, you're used to living, provide, um, um, you know, assisted living facilities. All of that is dictated in the trust. Same thing is if you have um, funeral expenses, cremation, whatever that is, there's information in the trust that says how that is to be paid out of the trust money. And that's where too, so I think what's complementary, complementary to that is that that's where the healthcare directives come into play right? Or like powers of attorney to- Well, they all, Mm -hmm. they all work together, right? The power of attorney is identifying an agent to be able to make financial decisions on your behalf. A healthcare agent in California, we call it an advanced healthcare directive. Some people know it as a living will, right? Not to be so confusing with a will or a pour over will. I know these terms are confusing, but um, the advanced healthcare directive is identifying that agent to be able to make healthcare decisions on your behalf right? It also allows you to list certain end of life decisions, cremation, burial, organ donation for transplant purposes to be kept on extreme measures for with prolonged life support or to be taken off, right? Those are all things that make up what an estate plan is. An estate plan or having legal documents isn't just having a will, right? Right. And a complete estate plan is a will, a trust, power of attorney, advanced healthcare directive, and a bunch of other supporting documents because they all work together because they all do different things. I so appreciate you highlighting that because individuals just think of one thing. They don't realize this interconnectedness and how all of this does come together. And and it's so important. What you've highlighted is a lot of things that people don't talk about, right? They don't talk about at the dinner table. People talk about birthdays. They talk about things, different milestones, but no one talks about these things. And it is inevitable, but you need to talk about it. So it's important to help execute and relieve that stress for those who are going to happen to manage those affairs for you when you're gone. 
Yeah. Um, so I, I really appreciate you highlighting that. Now, I know there are situations and you've seen this probably in your career many times. What does it entail when someone contests your will or your trust? What What are the steps there? Um, well, in the, in the will contest that I've been involved in, generally it's, um, usually an heir coming forward and saying that they don't agree with the will, right? The terms of the will, and they want it basically to be thrown out. Um, whether it's, you know, a parent signed and they didn't have capacity to sign, right? I see that happen a lot. And unfortunately it's people do not contest in time. Um, and things just, you know, they just go to a sibling, right? Because the the siblings that were left out um, didn't have an understanding of what needed to be done. And it's unfortunate because I see this happen quite frequently um, where that is done. So it's, but it's it's a court process, right? Is when, a, when there is a will, a will gets filed um, with the probate court and that's when there's an opportunity for any of the heirs or beneficiaries to then come forward and contest, right? By filing a document that says that they are contesting the will. And then it's just, you know, whatever the court procedure is at that point, um, generally for where we are, it's going to mediation and trying to figure out how to solve it. Um, sometimes it's just conversations between the attorneys um, that are involved, trying to figure out a solution, maybe withdrawing the will and just letting it pass intestate, which is one that I had happen. Um, and so, you know, it, it really, every, every family situation is going to be different. The dynamics are different in how family members work together. Um, I find that when parents pass away, that's really when everything that has been built up over the life of the siblings comes out. And so if there was ever any drama where one kid was favored over another, or there was situations that, you know, they got always got this, their life, then that's where things cause issues. And so I find that by having a trust, one, it's going to keep it out of probate court, um, at least unless there's issues, in which case it's brought into probate court, but then it's very clearly defined, right? What is going to happen. And that's where the wish is, as you're creating the trust, you can document as much as possible. I mean, there's always that risk, right? Of things being contested, yes. but you document as much as you can. That's how you, what you intend those funds or the proceeds to, to go to. Exactly. Okay. Now, um, from your standpoint, someone coming in, explain kind of what you go through, like what you ask, just kind of that step-by-step, step, cause you, you really do walk through someone who's completely new to this, what's needed, right? I just, just to give those who are listening kind of that assurance that I want them to be overwhelmed. It's more of having that awareness. They don't have one. Now, if it's a widow who's already gone through this or a widower, they know how important it is because they've had now that experience. But if it's completely new, how do you walk through that process with someone that step-by-step step, um, so that they can get these documents in order? So the first thing that we do is we'll actually have them complete an online questionnaire. Um, we need to get an idea of what is the family situation, right? What are the, who are the kids that are involved? What are the assets that you have? We'll look up property information to figure out, okay, what do we need to do? 
for from a deed perspective to get assets, those houses moved into the trust. Um, and then, you know, life insurance, retirement, all of the different assets so that we have a full picture of family and financial. Um, the other thing, um, the next steps then is the that they will meet with an attorney um, and be able to then go through all of the different documents that we would include in an estate plan and design each of those based on what their goals are, right? What are the, their wishes? And make sure that we are documenting that throughout. Perfect. What's a typical process when someone gets started to having that start to finish normally? Do you have it? Does it take 30 days, 60 days? What's on average? I mean, like you said, it all yeah. varies. It's every trust is unique, right? It's not going to be a, a same kind of checkoff list type of thing, but what's on average for that, for someone to have a, a complete document set? Uh, so the process is generally about four to six weeks um, from start to finish. It's going to um, allow us the opportunity to meet with them a few times to make sure that we know what they're their wishes are to go over all of the stuff with them because it's a lot of information and it really allows them the ability every time to get a little bit more information, right? To be able to really get a good understanding of what they have and what they're completing. Because I mean, estate planning, it is very confusing with all of the different documents that we have. It's, it is overwhelming. And so by having these various, um, meetings with the attorney um, and then to that signing appointment, it allows them the ability to really get a good understanding of what they're doing, right? Not just knowing like, oh, I can cross this off my list. I got it done. What does it mean? Um, and then I, I find that, you know, once that's done, the sense of accomplishment, right? The relief that they feel, that peace of mind that they've gotten is then going to allow them to just kind of be at peace knowing that, okay, if something happened, we're good, right? right? I think that's really important. And then ongoing, like you mentioned earlier, Krista, then having that relationship with your client every two to three years, just to kind of see where are you, do we need to make any modifications, make those updates and so forth. So it's, it's an ongoing process. It is, it is. And I mean, I have clients that you send me emails all the time that, you know, we did their trust and now they have this bank account or they're getting life insurance or they're buying a new house. And so it's just, you know, giving them information about, okay, what to do with this asset. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's, I mean, that happens every day um, because it's, and it's important, right? As you continue your life, like you said, when you start out, you don't have much, you have kids, you want to make sure they're protected, but then the assets grow as you get older. And so it's making sure that you're funding those assets and putting them into the name of the trust. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Krista. You've covered so many key aspects to the importance of having that trust and, and educating folks who are going to listen to this on the call or on the podcast. And so I really appreciate your time. You've gone through a lot of details here. If anyone has any questions, because this is your expertise, your area, what's the best way for them to reach reach you? Uh, so they can... Um... They can go to estateplanningmom.com and they can find us there. It's probably the easiest way um, and just be able to find our uh, information to email us or give us a call. Um, Again, we're in California. Um, We have offices all over the state. So if you are located in California as a primary residence, that's the big thing is we can only help people that are located in California. 
they can reach out to us there. Uh, the other thing that we do is not just the estate planning side, but if you have family members or friends who have people that pass away in California, we help with the probate and the trust administration side in being able to help the families. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Krista. And um, we look forward if there's any other inquiries that come up in the future, we'll definitely reach out to you, but I'd really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Jenny. Okay. Thank you.